When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Before we start the show, I have a quick word from our sponsor, Verbo. Struggling to find the perfect vacation home? You need Verbo. They do the hard work for you, matching you to the perfect place to stay every time. From condos to cabins, places with yards, grills, or hot tubs, they've got it all. Search VRBO in the App Store to download the Verbo app today. Take a vacation from the frustrating vacation search. That's Verbo, V-R-B-O, available in the App Store now. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Welcome back to Case Closed. We left off with the revelation that Hemi Newman, Andrea's boss, rented the van the killer drove. After months of dead ends and no concrete leads, a search for this van leads them to Hemi. But I'd like to put this revelation in context. Remember the two interviews Andrea had with Detective Thompson? The first was at her dining room table. The second in the police station. Andrea mentions Hemi in both instances. Hemi pursues Andrea per her own account. Hemi, a man married with small children. He is willing to risk his settled life to have Andrea, a married woman with two children of her own. Per her account, Hemi was willing to break apart two marriages. Would he be willing to kill? For all the discussion of Hemi Newman, he had not become a priority of the investigation. Nobody went looking for him. Nobody tried to call him or compared the sketch to Hemi. Nobody looked into whether he drove a silver Dodge Caravan or even wondered where he was the morning that Rusty Snyderman was murdered or if he had an alibi. Despite Thompson's assertion to Andrea that due diligence would require investigating Hemi. Thompson would later acknowledge he should have taken down Hemi's contact information from Andrea as he had that of the exterminator and various business associates of Rusty's. I made a mistake, he said, but he would lay much of the blame on Andrea. He interpreted her comments to mean Hemi's romantic advance was a fleeting moment that they both quickly put behind them. Had she made more of it? I would have, as soon as the interview was done, found him and got him for an interview, Thompson would say. She didn't, so he didn't. At Thompson's instruction, a routine background check was run on him on December 15th, as was done with all the names that arose in the investigation. It raised no red flags. Hemi's record was spotless. He had no arrests, no lawsuits, nothing that would draw any attention to him. He was put on the back burner. The hand-wringing would come months later. For now, police had the biggest break in the case. The biggest break in the case. I want to point out here that Thompson is shifting the blame onto Andrea. This is the first hint of something that'll be important during the trial. We jump back now to the phone call to Hemi. Sergeant Cordellino tries to be coy. He doesn't want to arouse any suspicions. 
When Hemi answered, Cordellino introduced himself as a Dunwoody police detective. He told him that he was investigating a hit-and-run accident occurring in Dunwoody involving a silver van and that he had traced that van back to him and that he had some questions he'd like to ask him in person, Cordellino later said. If Hemi caught on to the deception, he said nothing about it. Calm and cooperative, Hemi said he would be happy to meet with the police, but that he was in Florida for a few days to attend the funeral of his father's wife. He said he'd call him when he returned to Georgia. Cordellino waited about a week. It was a calculated risk. Police could have swooped in immediately to prevent him from fleeing, or they could take their time, learn more about Hemi, and see if he crossed himself up. They chose the latter. On the morning of January 4, 2011, Hemi did call back. After Cordellino thanked him for returning the call, Hemi affected the same anything-I-can-do-to-help tone. He said he had returned to Georgia and was willing to set up a time to talk to police. Cordellino said he wanted to do it that day. Hemi had a doctor's appointment, but thought he could reschedule that. He provided an address in the Tony Buckhead community south of Dunwoody. Cordellino would later claim that all he knew about Hemi at the time came from the background check, that Hemi was clean and that he worked at the same GE office as Andrea. Though he had sat at the Snyderman's dining room table the night Andrea was first interviewed, he later said he never heard her mention Hemi and that she may have brought him up when Cordellino was outside the house. Due to a communication breakdown at the police department, he didn't learn what Andrea had told Thompson in the follow-up interview. It had been decided that Cordellino and his boss, Lieutenant David Barnes, would approach Hemi. They were among the most experienced members of the Dunwoody PD. While Barnes had come from the South and spoke that way, Cordellino was a native New Yorker, and he still sounded like one, three decades in Georgia failing to penetrate his Eastern accent. They would drive separately, Cordellino heading to an address provided by Hemi, while Barnes inexplicably went to an address listed on the background check in East Cobb, not far from Dunwoody. It would never be clear why they didn't have the same address if this was another instance of a communication breakdown. Also, Barnes would later say that he learned Hemi was Andrea's boss when a Google search turned up his resume, not from any reports or word from his own detectives. Either way, while in his car, Barnes got a call from Cordellino telling him to turn around and meet him in South Buckhead. Barnes got there first. The man who came to the door bore little resemblance to the bearded killer in the police sketch. Hemi Newman looked very much like the GE energy executive of his resume and Andrea's description, shortish, middle-aged, with mostly gray hair and glasses. He let the detectives in, and they made casual conversation, Barnes said later. Repeating what he'd said on the phone, Hemi noted that his doctor's appointment that day was a follow-up for recent minor surgery and that he wasn't feeling 100%. When Barnes asked if he could try to postpone it, Hemi agreed. Within 10 minutes, Cordellino arrived. Introductions were made, and the detectives asked Hemi if he would be willing to speak with them at Dunwoody Police Station so they could get his statement on tape. Once again agreeable, Hemi got in the passenger seat of Cordellino's unmarked 2010 Ford Fusion, and Barnes sat in the back. Before we get into the thick of the police interview with Hemi, I want to touch on the communications breakdown. There's a power struggle happening in the police department over this case. We have lead detective Andrew Thompson. He conducts the initial interviews with Andrea. But remember the day after the murder? 
Thompson and his boss, Sergeant Cordellino, arrived at the Snydermans. The family doesn't want the house searched. It's Cordellino who insists they come back tomorrow. Then there's Cordellino's claim that in both interviews, he never heard Andrea mention Hemi. There's a fracture here. Now we're seeing this rift again, but between Cordellino and his boss, Lieutenant Barnes. It starts with the address mix-up. Cordellino has the correct one, but Barnes is unaware the address changed from the one on file. Barnes also seems curiously unaware of the case. His own detectives don't brief him on Hemi. We're starting to see a pattern here of blame shifting. When things go wrong, they blame Andrea. They blame their superiors. They blame miscommunication. There's a growing gap. But for now, back to Hemi. He's in the station interview room, the one Andrea sat in after the murder. Hemi's chair is in a corner, Barnes and Cordellino pinning him there. The interview began pleasantly enough, despite the claustrophobic confines of the room. Hemi was dressed casually in a dark, long-sleeved sweatshirt and jeans. A cup of water sat in front of him. Cordellino sat to his left and would ask most of the questions. Across the table sat Lieutenant Barnes, reviewing documents and rarely making eye contact with Hemi, seemingly preoccupied with paperwork while Cordellino asked the questions. Cordellino urged Hemi to call him Gary, which Hemi did. They joked about Cordellino's New York accent. Cordellino made self-deprecating remarks about not being as smart or highly paid as Hemi and affected a wide-eyed interest and envy in Hemi's corporate world. All the while, Barnes loomed silently across the table, poring over papers with a seriousness that suggested he knew a lot more than he was letting on. Cordellino started in with questions about Hemi's time at GE, and Hemi reluctantly answered them. Cordellino then asked, Andrea is one of your employees there? The question came up out of the blue. Up until now, Cordellino had said nothing about Rusty's murder. Showing no surprise at the question, Hemi said only, Uh-huh. Hemi explained that he knew not only Andrea, but also her late husband Rusty. He said he had visited their house. Cordellino asked how long he had known the family. Newman said he met Rusty in August. They had lunch, and he went to the Snydermans a couple of times. Cordellino asked if Newman was just socializing. Yeah, Newman said. They're Jewish. Good guys. Cordellino asked if Newman saw Rusty a couple of days before he was shot. Newman said he had, that he and Andrea had been working on a project and had a deadline, and that Andrea needed to go home to take care of the kids. So he went with her. When Cordellino asked the date that Hemi visited the Snyderman house, Hemi checked his iPad and said it was November 16th, two days before the murder. Newman saw Rusty there when he came home around nine. Newman said that they were working at the kitchen table and that Rusty did some work at the kitchen table. Newman said he left there about 10.30. What did he do? Cordellino asked. Hemi described the same celebrity voice messaging project that Andrea had sketched out for Detective Thompson. Hemi revealed that he, too, was involved in Rusty's enterprise, if only tangentially. Cordellino and Barnes would later find out this was just one of many things Andrea had not mentioned to Thompson. As Barnes listened and took notes, Hemi shot him nervous glances. Cordellino inched closer, pushing Hemi tighter into the corner. He asked how many times Hemi had spoken with Rusty. 
Hemi said it was maybe twice in person, other times by phone. Cordolino asked if Hemi had put a lot of money in the project when Hemi told him he was broke, bankrupt. When Cordolino was asking Hemi about his job, he described himself as an upper manager pulling down $170,000 a year, Cordolino joking that this was a lot more than a small-town detective made. Hemi explained that the company had 100 sites under his supervision alone. Hemi spent a lot of time on the road, and that Andrea sometimes went with him, sometimes for two or three days at a time. Cordolino asked if he was still with his wife at the time. Hemi said there was conflict, without elaborating. He said he had moved out in October. Cordolino asked, when was the last time you guys traveled together, you and Andrea? In October, said Hemi, they went to Greenville, South Carolina. Barnes interjected with a rare question. He asked where they stayed in Greenville. Hemi said the Hampton Inn. Cordolino asked the question that had been floating out there. And what's your relationship? Be honest. What's your relationship with her? It sounds like more than business. Not that close, Hemi said. They had now been in the room for 38 minutes, and neither detective had asked about the rental car or Rusty's murder. With exasperation in his voice, Hemi asked, Where is all this going? Cordolino answered vaguely, I'm just trying to get a basis on Rusty, how you and Andrea and Rusty can cross. Hemi didn't press the issue, and Cordolino resumed his questions. The detective asked again about the night Hemi had visited the Snydermans. Hemi explained that he and Andrea were scrambling to finish a project. The late hours became necessary. Hemi was asked if he noticed whether the long hours had caused issues between Andrea and Rusty. Hemi said he began to sense tension between the two. Before joining GE, Andrea had worked from home. Now, going into the office each day, leaving Rusty with the children, created some conflict between them, Hemi said. Cordolino asked, did she share what was going on in her home, as you shared with her? She talked about it, Hemi said. Casually, Cordolino asked Hemi where he happened to be the morning of the murder. Hemi said that he and Andrea were at work, and he didn't know what Rusty was doing. Cordolino paused before asking his next question. In a more serious tone, he told him he was going to talk to him about the day of the shooting, and that he was going to read him his Miranda rights. Hemi was taken aback. Do I have to worry? he asked. The detective told Hemi he didn't think so. Cordolino's voice dripped with a just-between-us-guys sincerity. Listen, you're helping. For a guy that says, what do I know? You're giving me a lot. Cordolino gestured to Barnes, who had resumed silence but busily took notes. He's up to five pages already. He's writing. Hemi lifted his palms in a what's-going-on-here pose. You asked me about a car, and you're asking all these questions? I'm asking you questions about Rusty and Andrea. I'm trying to get into their lives, said Cordolino. Andrea's not at a point right now, I'll be honest. She's not at a point where I can sit down and talk to her. She wants to know why her family is destroyed, why her kids don't have a father, why she doesn't have a husband. That's all she keeps asking. Hemi dropped down his head, shaking, hands in his lap, and asked if he was a subject. Before Cordolino answered... Hemi asked if the detective had read Miranda rights to everybody else he had interviewed. If I have to, yeah, the detective said, not letting on that so far nobody had been read their rights in the case. Cordolino slid a piece of paper to Hemi. 
He cited the familiar refrain from countless TV shows, the right to remain silent, the warning that everything he said could be used against him in a court of law, the right to an attorney. Do you understand? asked Cordellino. Am I going to need a lawyer? asked Hemi. The detective evaded. Do you need a lawyer? said Cordellino. I don't know, said Hemi. I'm asking you. This is what you need to ask yourself, said Cordellino. You're an intelligent guy. You're college educated. You've been around the world more times than I have. You're more attuned to what's going on than I am. Cordellino read Hemi his rights again. Do you understand those that I've just read you? Yes. You need to sign right over here. Hemi signed, though the process didn't end there. The detectives had a second piece of paper for Hemi. Now that Hemi acknowledged understanding his rights, would he waive those rights? Are you willing to talk to me right now to help me find the person who did this to Andrea and her family? asked Cordellino. Hemi didn't want to waive his rights. It's just a conversation. This is a conversation, Cordellino said. Hemi wasn't sure. I don't know again. My comfort. I'm in this setting. The more they talked, the more agitated Hemi became. Cordellino said he just wanted a simple conversation, talk about Andrea's family, Rusty's family, their friends, a simple thing, the detective said. At one point, Cordellino locked eyes with Hemi. Are you a suspect? he asked. Hemi looked away. I don't think I need to be a suspect. I shouldn't be a suspect. There's no reason why I should be a suspect. But you're reading me my rights. Hemi shook his head back and forth as if trying to get a crick out of his neck. I mean, you're shaking like a leaf, Cordellino said. I gotta wonder about that. Again, I told you everything. Last night, I wasn't feeling well. My head is about to explode. Maybe it's the conscience, suggested Cordellino. You got a lot on your mind. Hemi told him that it was a crappy day and that his two daughters blamed him for the breakup of his marriage. Cordellino said ominously that every day could be crappy for the rest of your life. Hemi took a long sip of water from a foam cup. Then Barnes spoke quietly in his southern accent. This is going to be the last chance to help yourself. And if we stop now, asked Hemi, what happens? Then we'll have to make a decision, said Barnes. Decide how to proceed without you. It's that simple. Hemi asked to go to the bathroom. Two minutes later, Hemi returned. Hemi picked up a pen and signed the rights waiver. Cordellino added his signature. Cordellino then asked again where Hemi was and exactly what he was doing on the morning of November 18th, 2010. After the break, we'll find out. This week's episode is supported by the vitamin subscription service Care Of. If you're feeling low on energy or you need more sleep, give yourself an extra boost this season with Care Of. Care Of's fun online quiz makes it easy to find the vitamins and supplements that are right for you. Just answer a few questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle. In just five minutes, you'll get a list of scientifically backed recommendations for vitamins, protein powders, and more, all personalized just for you. There are even vegan and vegetarian options available. I've been taking care of vitamins for a few weeks now, and it's been a great experience. The individual packets are easy to take with me on the go, and I feel like I have more energy thanks to the vitamins I'm taking. I definitely recommend you check it out. 
For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Case Closed 50. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter Case Closed 50 for 50% off of your first Care Of order. This episode of Case Closed is brought to you by the audiobook edition of Saving Megan by D.J. Palmer. It's read for you by Mary Stuart Masterson and Rebecca Soler. Some would say Becky Gerard is a devoted mother who would do anything for her only child. Others, including her husband Carl, claim she's obsessive and maybe even dangerous. Becky's 15-year-old daughter Megan has been in and out of hospitals with a plague of unexplained illnesses. But when the ailments take a sharp turn, clashing medical opinions begin to raise questions about the puzzling nature of Megan's illness. Doctors suspect Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a rare behavioral disorder where the primary caretaker seeks medical help for made-up symptoms of a child. Is this what's going on? Or is there something even more sinister at hand? Listen to an excerpt of the audiobook at macmillanaudio.com slash palmer. That's macmillanaudio.com slash p-a-l-m-e-r. Let's jump back to the interrogation room. The interview, going on for an hour, had taken a more confrontational tone. Hemi's evasive answers met with ever sharper questions from Cordolino. What time did he get there on the 18th? Around 5.30, Hemi said. Cordolino asked if that was a normal hour. Hemi said it wasn't, but that he had a big project he was working on. Cordolino asked how Hemi had heard that Rusty had been shot. Hemi said that Andrea had texted and called him. The text actually went to another employee named Alan, who worked in the office next to hers, said Hemi. Alan then texted Hemi. It was later in the morning, Hemi said, when he heard directly from Andrea. She had tried calling him on his cell phone, but he hadn't picked it up. When he saw the missed call, he dialed her back, reaching her in a car as she was going to the hospital with her parents. The next time he saw her was two days later, Sunday, at the funeral for Rusty, but he didn't talk to her. Returning to the day of the murder... Cordolino asked Hemi a second time to retrace his actions. Hemi said that while it was a normal day at work, he had left at one point to run an errand. His car was at Ed Voyle's Honda, a local dealership about two miles away. Hemi said they had a safety recall that they needed to do. He said he had gone to Ed Voyle's on Wednesday, the day before the shooting. When the garage wouldn't give him a car, he went to a rental agency. Hemi said he rented a Kia minivan. Hemi said he drove the Kia to work the next day, the day of the shooting, and returned at around 11 a.m. Cordolino asked, I want to ask you a personal question, man to man, just between us. Okay, Hemi said. What was your relationship with Andrea? Be honest. Andrea and I are friends, Hemi said. Cordolino locked eyes with Hemi. She works for me, of course, Hemi said. So the first part of the relationship is she's my employee. Um, we connected. We're friends. I find her attractive, and, and I indicated that to her, and she... But again, you know, I'm her manager, so we... You gotta be careful, asked Coralino. 
You don't want to play those games, said Hemi. And I said, you know, in the future, when I have a different job, you know, I'd like to continue to develop the relationship. And she basically said, no, I'm committed to Rusty, and it ain't gonna happen. As he asked questions, Cordolino had been moving his chair even closer to the table. He was now inches from Hemi, leaning in. Hemi moved back. Hemi continued talking. He said that he and Andrea talked about their family lives and what they were going through. He said that Andrea said there was pressure in the house because before she was the one that was in the house. This is good. This is important, man. She's venting with you. She feels comfortable with you, Cordolino said. Hemi said he knew he couldn't take the relationship any farther as long as she reports to me, but his feelings for her lingered. She's a terrific lady, he said. At this point, Hemi's story corroborates Andrea's. He expressed feelings for her. She rebuffed him. They moved on. But there's still the van. The detectives may not have motive yet, but they can place Hemi in the van on the day of the murder. Cordolino continues. Hemi, this is what we know, said Cordolino. We got that van on video the day Rusty was shot. I swear, the more I look at you, the more I see the person inside that van. I'm giving you every opportunity, man. You're not a criminal. Things could just go wrong. Things can go wrong in life. Hemi sat impassively as Cordolino continued. You're in that van the day of the shooting, and I'm just, we're trying to get you down to say it. And then you're going to feel a lot better by it, and that's why we're here. You're here because that van was there. Where? Hemi appeared puzzled. Where Rusty got shot, Cordolino said. Now, Hemi... Look at me. You've got to admit to yourself what happened. I'm telling you, you were there when Rusty got shot. I know you were, Hemi. How do you know that? asked Hemi. Because it's on video. The van was there. No, Hemi said, shaking his head. Barnes now spoke again. Listen, it's got to be eating you up. He saw your face. What's that? He saw your face. Did he recognize you? Was there shock on his face, even though you were in disguise? Hemi didn't answer. For the next couple of hours, Hemi dug in. He refused to answer their questions, dodged questions by answering with a question of his own, shaking his head, raising his eyebrow, calm in his intransigence. They appealed to his intelligence, implored him to recognize the unbelievable coincidence that the killer drove the exact same kind of van that he had rented, what are the odds? What are the odds of that? asked Cordolino. Barnes showed Hemi the surveillance photo stills and then video of the van, but Hemi wouldn't budge. The only time Hemi seemed thrown off was when they brought up his wife. They asked if she knew about Andrea. When they threatened to talk to her, he said that the only thing his wife knew was that he and Andrea had recently taken a business trip together to England. As the session ground into the fourth hour, Hemi seemed to wear down the detectives, nerves frayed. At one point, Cordolino suggested that maybe Andrea was in on it, that it was her plan. Hemi looked away in disgust. After more than five hours in the little interview room, the detectives finally gave up. They seized the iPhone and iPad that Hemi was carrying and gave him one last chance to admit he murdered Rusty Snyderman. They told him they would soon subpoena his cell phone records, which would place him at a cell phone tower near the preschool at the time Rusty was gunned down. How are you going to explain that away? asked Cordolino. 
There's nothing to explain, because it won't be there, said Hemi. I wasn't there. Hemi was escorted out of the interview room, handcuffed, and taken to the DeKalb County Jail. He had his fingerprints taken and posed for a mugshot before going to jail for the first time in his life. So now we have a question to ask ourselves. This is the same question that the Dunwoody PD is asking at this point. We have evidence that connects Hemi's rental car to the crime scene. We have motive. Hemi's infatuation could have turned deadly. But we also have Hemi's own account. He vehemently denies being anywhere near the crime. There's also the complicating factor of the differences in Hemi's and Andrea's stories. Andrea claims Hemi's advances were mild, something to be dismissed. Hemi, on the other hand, implies something more intimate in nature, that he is a confidant on Andrea's relationship troubles. At one point in the interrogation, Cordolino asks about any signs of reciprocation from Andrea. Hemi elaborates that he couldn't tell whether he was imagining that she felt the same way about him. We end here at his arrest, but this story is far from over. We'll track some new evidence that may lead to a more concrete answer of who was driving the car. And we'll hear more from Andrea. But that's coming up on Case Closed. Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. This season is based on the book Crazy for You by Michael Fleeman. Get the book or the audiobook using the link in our show notes. The show is produced by Becky Celestina with help from Katie Ferguson, Sarah Grill, and Alyssa Martino. We also want to thank Michael Fleeman. Can't wait to hear what really happened to Rusty Snyderman? Hear all of this season right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash caseclosed and use code CLOSED to start your free trial. I'm Charlie Spicer. Thanks so much for listening. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.